Welcome to Make Work Fun, the podcast exploring the fun side of the creator economy. We're the show all about business with a bit less of the business. Hello, my friends. What is going on? Welcome to another episode of Make Work Fun, the podcast for creators by creators who are looking to make business a little bit more fun and a little bit less boring. My name's Ben Bradbury, and today joining me are none other than Workweek's CEO and COO, Adam Ryan and Becca Sherman, best friends and now builders of our company. This is a great interview. If you're interested in finding out how they're thinking about the role of creators in the industry, what the industry is going to look like moving forward and how to take advantage of that, this is the interview for you. We talk about the three reasons that people and creators leave a company, whether that's someone else's company or a company you're working for yourself, and how you can solve for that as an institution yourself. We'll talk about why creators have a higher odds of winning with a longer time horizon. If you're able to take big bets, they will be able to pay off and have that patience. And then we'll talk about the opportunity for creators who are working at media companies. Because if you're listening to this, you may have a job as a journalist, as a reporter, writer, podcaster, or personality in a company. And there's a whole other opportunity that you can take advantage of there. And Adam digs into that, along with sharing some lessons that he's learned along the way from his career, which are fascinating. And Becca does the same with hers too. This is a great conversation. And if you do enjoy it, let me know what you think on Twitter. My handle is at Ben Bradbury underscore. I would love to hear from you for any and all comments that you've got. Without further ado, please enjoy this episode. All right, Adam and Becca, welcome to Make Work Fun. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Ben. Well, we are a little over six months into Workweek going live. So my first question for both of you as our COO and CEO, respectively, how has the first six months been bringing this baby out into the world? It's just been so much fun. The Make Work Fun tagline is is holding true. We, It feels like it's happened. It's It hasn't been seven months. It feels like it's been seven minutes and it's all flying by, but it has just been a lot of fun building the team, building the products we're launching and getting out into the world where I feel, I feel very excited and very proud. It's lived up to every expectation that we had set, which it was pretty high. And so far, like six months in, when I look back, there's a lot of things that we might do differently and improve on. And there's always lessons to be learned, but would not change a single thing in terms of like the direction and, and how we're thinking about the business. Adam, you said when you were initially going into this, you'd had an idea or had some expectations of how this was going to play out and largely they've been met. What were the things that are the kind of theses that you've seen being proven true over the last seven months? So a few different ones, uh, really. One, that audiences are following people over institutions. I think, you know, individuals over institutions is something now I, I just saw an article that was like individuals over institutions is overplayed. And I was like seven months ago, that wasn't on any website. So that's fun. There's, I think people are hearing that more. They're believing it more and it's actually happening, which without that, there's no thesis to work week, uh, in general. Then the next piece of that though goes down is can you scale one person to be essentially their own media business? Can you expand their time to diversify the products that they create and everything around them? And we're starting to, to see that. And then lastly, can we elevate voices of what we see as industry experts that may not have been known already? It's really 
easier to identify people who already have, in many ways, product market fit. I use Nick Sharma as an example. He already had 25,000 people subscribe to him. He is the voice in the space. We're honored to work with him. He is one of the most brilliant minds in all of business that I've worked with. But the other side of Workweek is looking at what about the voices that haven't reached there yet? How do we create more authoritative voices across different spaces? And when we look at Nicole Kasperson and Blake Madden and a few of these others, Caitlin for the Green Paper, they weren't necessarily huge voices yet in their industry and watching them starting to rise and see more and more people reach out to them. It's a lot of fun. And it kind of proves that we can work on on the barbell of, of both sides of creators. Something interesting you said there is, can we scale one person into their own media company? I was speaking to one of our creators, Daniel Murray, about his podcast. And he said, you don't want to think about it just like having a podcast. You want to think about your podcast as the tip of the spear for a media company, which lets you build this audience. And then you can launch products and services off the back of that. Becca, you run the operations of our business. You oversee that piece. How do you think about scaling creators' time so that even though we might all have the same 24 hours in a day, they're able to produce so much more with a team supporting them than they could alone? Yeah, I mean, I think that has been something core to what we've built from the beginning. And we've used a cheesy yet adorable and I think effective analogy of how do we build the Hamilton of media? And you don't expect Lin-Manuel to get on stage and put on a great show and also adjust the lights and also build the sets and also sell the tickets. And so for us, scaling people means having the right people in the right seats behind them. How do we have the best growth team, the best podcast team, the best newsletter team who can take all of the things our creators are working on and really efficiently turn them into other pieces of media and other types of media across many channels in many ways. And I was talking to Daniel just the other day for his podcast and an analogy we've, we've consistently used that I enjoy is, you know, we think about building content or creating content, like building a big piece of furniture and how do you take all the sawdust left over from building that piece of furniture to use it in many different places. And so we're, we've really been thinking operationally about how do we put the right people in the right places to do that? And, Tying it back to the Hamilton thing, how do we have the best lights people, the best ticket sellers, the best whatever it is? Um, and I think we're on track on track building that. Yeah. And also for creators realizing that if you're, to build on the furniture analogy, if you've done all the work to write this newsletter or to record this podcast, that one piece of content could trickle down into two, five, 10 other pieces of content or indeed it could be reused because if you've put all this work into a great send and then only a few hundred people read it, you could recycle that in future months. And there's nothing wrong with doing that. You've got a much bigger audience. So I think people as well, you shouldn't underestimate the value of doing all that hard work on the front end because it makes it so much easier on the back end. Everything can and should be used many times over. And the more we can invest in quality in in something specific, the easier it is to turn it into so many things. What we've realized is like, we're not creating necessarily like a whole new way to approach content. We're not asking people to like think totally differently. We're learning from the creators that have had success. Like Dan Runcie is uh, the creator of Trapital and he talked about out of his 15,000 newsletter subscribers he made on his own, like almost 25% came from one article. Wow. And he's published like over a hundred. So 
when we think about that, like it's us learning, Beck and I and all of our team have operated with so many different creators and have been around media for so long, is that we're trying to share these best practices that aren't necessarily new or wildly imaginative. It's just actually helping the creator become more educated at what they do and then having the operating team around them to scale them. And like that is actually what Workweek is doing is we're helping them develop into a more efficient and effective creator with then the tools around them that they can never have on their own. And, and that to me is ultimately the success is if we can, even if you are a Daniel Murray or a Nick Sharma or Tracy Walls who have had success as a creator, they all three would say like, oh, there's so much more that I can learn how to do and get better at. It's Workweek's job to help coach them and develop them in that way. And you mentioned that a lot of what we're doing here is just taking these tried and tested principles and making them very obvious for our creators. For the creators listening, what do you think is one of those principles around being a creator or building an audience, working media that you think most people miss or they misunderstand? You have to put yourself in the actual shoes of a creator. We've talked to literally, I mean, at this point, hundreds of creators. I think for the first four months of 2022, we were talking to five to six creators a week. You know, that was after talking to over a hundred before we launched. And one of our values at Workweek is thrive over survive. And that was very much pulled from talking to a lot of creators because they're not thinking about like, well, what's the pros of working in a media company versus by myself versus working with Workweek? They're thinking about like, how the hell do I survive? How do I get to the next place? Then it's like, okay, well, I just sold this ad deal, but like, what are the terms? Do I know how to read this? Do I have to hire a lawyer? I'm just going to Google it. Oh, is this like, like they're spending all their time just worried about doing something that they're actually not born to do. And to step into educating people of the differences of like, hey, there's pros of going out on your own. There's pros of working at a media, a traditional, more traditional, more media company. There's pros of work week and there's cons across all of those two potentially. Before you even get there, you have to have that creator admit that they're not making use of their time in the best way that they can. And that is what work week is solving. It's having them enjoy what they do, taking the things that they're not having fun with, because the way that we have them be here for a very long time is that they're having a lot of fun. And that's not worried about contracts and revenue and paying their bills. It's worried about like, man, this piece is what I've wanted to write forever. I just needed a lot of time to do it. What do you think are the moments for creators where they have the most fun? In your conversations with them, what are the, the like real highlight pieces where it clicks and, and they think, man, this is so worth it? Beck and I have talked about this. We've had a philosophy about how you keep people at a company for a long time. And, and we've tried to take this into practice where people leave their, an organization or a company or even working for themselves for three reasons. Uh, one is culture, which means they may not like who they work with. They may not like their manager. They may not like the hours they work, all the things that revolve around culture. And a lot of the world has been put resources into trying to fix that. Uh, if you look at the last 10 years, everything from free meals and all that other stuff, uh, working from home is a culture piece now, et cetera. So some people leave for that. The next one is value. This is a big one for creators, right? Media companies are losing their creators because they're saying, Hey, my value is being totally arbitraged. You pay me X amount of money and you're making a hundred X that like I deserve more pay and media companies are saying like, sorry, no, this is why they're graduating from media companies. But same thing on their own. They may say like, Hey, when I'm working on my own, 
I'm not making enough, or I think I can make so much more if I could have more time. Value is typically financial. Sometimes it's also being valued for your work, just being appreciated. People actually saying, hey, I love what you're doing and getting the support of others. But you can actually make a lot of money and love the culture that you have and still want to leave what you're doing because of growth. And to me, the number one reason why people leave is actually normally that they're bored or that they see more opportunity elsewhere. And at the core of creators is actually they want to grow professionally, their audience, their skill set, everything that they're doing. They're ambitious. It's, it's why they're naturally there, particularly the creators that we, we work with at Workweek. And our entire existence is to help growth from being better on a podcast to your audience and your newsletter subscribers to your Twitter followers. Everything around us is at growth. And I don't know about you, but it's a lot more fun to be part of a team that's growing, that's winning. It's really hard once you start to feel stale or that you're plateauing that you can have fun. And so when I think back to like what creators are having the most fun with, it's growing. Uh, and in all the ways. And that's what Workweek is just trying to build an entire business model around. And also this issue that I, I worked in my first job for two, two and a half years, and it was a great experience, but I felt at the end, I was very ready to leave. Whereas I feel like working here, I can see myself working here for a very long time because it's set up to capitalize on growth and on on opportunities. And if you're a creator, are you playing a game where you can genuinely see yourself there for the long term? Because the idea of the 10 year overnight success, like that's often a reality for a lot of creators. You grind away for years and years and years. And then in year eight, nine and 10, the snowball really starts to build, but it's only because you've done all those reps previously that you've, you've managed to get to that point. Success overnight is like not a thing in creating content. And normally what happens is you have one piece of content that explodes and you're like, well, yeah, that took me like seven months to yeah. build. But the, the issue that bluntly is I actually think the problem is that people aren't supported long enough. Their time horizons aren't long enough. And when Becca and I were sitting in a coffee shop last spring and we had no idea of the business model or what the hell we were going to call this thing and even what we were going to do, all we said was like, we just want to work together for a really long time. And like, if you have a long time horizon, you can win. It's actually one of like the few things that exist. It's just work, have a longer time horizon and your, your odds of winning is much higher. And even when you think about that with content creation, it just takes time and not enough. If you're on your own, you normally might say, Hey, I have four months of burn or I, I, I gotta, I gotta pull the plug. Or if you're at a media company, they may say like, Hey, you're not driving up page views or Hey, you did that, worked on that piece for two weeks and it didn't drive any subscribers. They're not giving them enough time to actually have success and you can't expect that to happen overnight. And the wolf is a perfect example of this is, uh, we worked with him for five months before he really started to feel a little bit of success. And that's not easy, uh, mentally, physically, emotionally to go through that grind. And then once you start to feel that momentum though, you get this sort of confidence and zone about yourself that you can't even get out of and it, it becomes fun. And like, that's, uh, I think that's only enabled by having longer time horizons. To add to that too, something that I'm really excited about with Workweek is one, we're down and ready to work on those long time horizons, but also the team we've built is helping people, is helping creators to reach a point of critical mass faster so that 
they don't have to grind for eight years before something happens. Let's turn that eight years into to one or two. I think having the team behind people who is excited to work with you for a long time and also you're able to tap into this great support network who's driving you forward means we can do a lot of things faster and think about much bigger dreams in in the long time horizons that we're considering. It's really cool. It's almost like if you are able to compress the time horizon it takes to be successful with support, that then enables you still to take those longer term uh, bets, but you can think so much more expansively about what you can achieve because you have all the stuff that you don't want to do taken care of. And that frees you up for the really fun stuff. I mean, it sounds like cliche, but if you look at what Bezos did, he was fanatic about getting the marketplace to have product market fit. And that team had monthly, daily, hourly goals that they pushed themselves towards. But in the, the other side of the building, he was investing for a decade into Amazon Web Services. And everyone was like, why are you losing so much money? This is crazy. What are you doing? And he had this ability to like think about today and think 10 years from now and built a business that supported both. And when you take that to a creator, there's a lot, a lot of lessons to learn there. I'd love to, instead of looking forward for a second, I'd love to look back because you have both got really interesting working histories. And I'm sure there's been a lot of lessons that you've learned along the way that has informed how you think now as operators and, and building Workweek. If you think about the jobs that you've had earlier in, in your career, are there any that particularly stick out as giving you a valuable perspective now that you are an operator here at Workweek? And what did that look like? I had a little bit of a winding career, started in advertising. It was pharmaceutical advertising. I hated it. I moved to Silicon Valley to do the SaaS startup thing. But really what led me here is is Adam bringing me onto the team at The Hustle. I had such a wild and fun ride over those years. And it really helped give me the perspective that I needed both on creators and operationally that I think has informed a lot of a lot of what we do and, and moving from that into a great team at Marketer Hire, which is a marketing talent marketplace. I loved my time there. They had such an amazing team and it really gave me the confidence to jump off and, and do something crazy with Adam. So it's it's been a really exciting run. What do you think it was about that experience that gave you the confidence? The role that I had at Marketer Hire was director of new revenue. And I really got to play in a sandbox with the founders, the executives on the team, got to explore different ideas um, and got to work with a lot of different people. And it also, it also showed me this whole world of marketing creators that existed. I have uh, had, of course, heard of Nick Sharma and uh, Tracy, who is now with us, is someone I've always known on the operations side, but didn't know she had content creation uh, passion or ambitions. I also got really embedded in marketing Twitter and started noticing people like Daniel Murray and Caitlin Bourgeois and Amanda Natividad and so many people across this space who were really showing me how real it is that people follow people and not institutions. People who really wanted to connect with Nick and do events with Caitlin and meet Tracy in real life and, and, um, it just opened me up to this marketing world that I hadn't been a part of and now feel very much a part of as we've launched a marketing vertical at Workweek and seeing how those people in their particular verticals can get tactical and, and drive really great relationships with their audiences. And instead of 
tapping into them as influencers in that case, now working with them as creators who are creating a lot of their own content. And one uh, one follow-up question there on what you shared at the end, what do you think is the difference between an influencer and a creator? Because I feel like for a, a lot of people, myself included, I used to bucket them under the same terminology, but it sounds like it means something different to you now. They probably are one in the same, but you have to be an, a creator to be an influencer. And people who are excellent at creating content Um, People who are truly able to scale across multiple channels, create unique content, think innovatively, those people make the best influencers. I think mostly when you're sitting in a marketing seat looking at how do we market X, Y, and Z product, who can we reach out to? We're talking about people as influencers. And I've just sort of switched the seat I'm sitting in to say, how do we create that content that makes people want to reach out for the folks at Workweek to help influence what they're doing? Adam, same question back at you. What were those formative lessons in the early days? I was a former teacher. I taught ninth grade American government. I had 128 students. And I think that taught me that everybody has individual strengths. And I think that's helped me with creators a lot. Uh, I walk into conversations in the same way that I walked in with my students and said, oh, wow, this person is the best reader in the classroom, but they don't ever want to raise their hand. Or this person only wants to learn from YouTube. In the same way of that conversation with 14-year-olds, I'm having that with adults, but it's really not that different. Uh, everyone needs kind of a differentiated way to to work, and it's actually one of the big inspirations, I think, of Workweek is how can we differentiate our approach to each individual person we meet with based on who they actually are as a human? And I think most people are just piling everyone in into one sort of playbook and one funnel and saying, this is how you work with each other. And from the very beginning, we said, we're going to differentiate completely how we work if we have Every creator can have a totally different contract because we're going to listen to what they actually want and what they prioritize. And that comes from, for me, being a teacher and like trying to actually individualize the students that I worked with. After that, primarily for the next eight, nine years, I was in media and I was at, on paper, some really successful media companies. Uh, Spiceworks uh, was a B2B IT community that had raised $130 million from Goldman they were doing at the time we grew from 30 million to 75 million when I was there. We did 75 million a year with 250,000 monthly active users. It was like a perfect company for B2B media. They had raised way too much money. I love to say it was like a great company, bad cap table, which that inspired like a lot of how I operated later of like talking. I used to talk a lot of shit about media companies raising money. And I think it's good reason because I saw the negative sides of that. It also showed me what an amazing community of like, like-minded people can do. One of the things that stuck out with me from Spiceworks was it was all IT professionals, the people you know running your network and systems. And one of the most amazing things that they did was they said, hey, everyone like views IT folks like on all the ads and all the creative. If you go to like companies that sell to IT folks, they all are in suits and ties. But like, really, they're all in Star Wars t-shirts. And the logo for Spiceworks was this orange dinosaur that was like totally outrageous and hilarious. And like that IT pro community like loved that there was actually something that was relatable to them. And to me, again, that like goes into today. It's like the way that like Daniel and Nick and Tracy and Ari all do their marketing content is individualized to them because their community is different. And like they need to have those little things that show that like, hey, this is how we're connected. This is that pain point that that actually people don't understand about us, but we get it. 
And like that orange dinosaur was like, some people would be like, that's silly. But to IT pros, it was like, no, this company gets it. And like, that was a, that was a big brand opportunity learning from them. Um, at Under Armour, I was part of the connected fitness division based down here in Austin, which had Matt, my fitness, my fitness pal and Endo Mondo. And then Under Armour bought all three of those companies. And there's a lot of lessons there, um, negative and positive, a lot around consumer. And like, I worked with Procter and Gamble and Hormel and like working with big consumer brands. But the biggest lesson for work week was that was four companies within a year and a half of each other that had to merge into one building. And they had four different cultures. They had four different values. They had four different tech stacks. Are we going to use uh, Jira? Are we going to use Slack? Are we using... And it was nightmarish. And what I took from that and what we, Beck and I have put a lot of emphasis on is like values of work week. And in many ways, like all these creators were running their own business primarily. Then you were running your own business with your own team. Uh, our, we have other people. We have two or three different companies that we've merged, not including creators, which you count that. We've had, we've merged essentially 18 plus different companies into one company. And at Under Armour, it was one of the best products. My fitness pal was so sticky. It had so much data. People loved it. They paid for it. It changed their life. It had a positive impact. But all of that was ruined because people. And like Becca and I have prioritized people and values from day one. And like, you know, this, the second that we started talking to you, it was like, here are our values. If it's not a fit, like get the fuck out. It's okay. But like, this isn't going to work unless we're aligned. And I think the speed that we've been able to move and the amount of people in one space, it's because we've been able to learn that lesson of like, we have to have shared values and systems early or it's not going to work. And then, you know, I met Becca uh, at the hustle. And uh, one of the big lessons there for me was, was in two parts. One, how scrappy you can be in media. There was so much money being thrown around, all these fancy websites and everyone's talking about video. And like, we had like the most basic fucking newsletter ever. We didn't have a designer on staff until we were five years old, basically. And we had a lot of success because we just wrote shit that people liked. And like, sometimes it's just that simple. And I think like the hustle showed me just how simple something can be while still having like a huge impact. And we're trying to take that approach here in various different ways as well. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. And I think playing to individual strengths really makes a team strong. I used to make the mistake when I just started my business, I sat down with my mom who coaches me on management. And I said, hey, I'm looking to make my first hire. And I think they need to work remotely. I think they need to have a lot of space. I think they need to have a standing desk and live somewhat isolated so they can work a lot. And she pauses me and says, Aren't, doesn't this sound a bit familiar? I said, what do you mean? And she said, you're basically describing your working setup. You're trying to get a clone of you. And uh, I was like, no, I'm not. No, wait, no. Yes, I totally am. And I realized afterwards the there's a lot of value in just getting people who are totally different from you and putting them all in the same mixer because you end up with all these all these different perspectives. And for creators who are able to do that and embrace their individuality, that's really where I think there's there's opportunity. I'd be interested in hearing as well from both of you what you think the real opportunities are for creators in the market. We're going into this age where people value individuals over institutions. What do you think, as a creator who's just starting to hone into this or, or tune into this, what opportunities do you think there are for them? I think there's an interesting opportunity happening where a lot of media companies are starting to have creator programs where that's what they're branded and they're embracing this individual 
personality. And I think there's going to be a lot of pros and cons to taking that opportunity. One would be just brand control, first of all. And one thing that I would push is the thing that makes individuals over institutions work is not that there's just a name there. It's not like just that the email line comes from Ben Bradbury. It's that it looks and feels and talks and everything is around that creator from the second that you see their brand to all the way through. And when you start to identify that with a larger institution, it actually kind of loses a little bit of that. Because now, in the same way, uh, this is an example that I use sometimes, but in the same way that there's like Rachel Maddow for MSNBC and Sean Hannity for Fox News, they're their own individuals, but you can't help but not think about the network that they're part of. That is not individuals over institutions. That's institutions trying to grab individuals and, and have that help them. And I think there's going to be a lot of learnings for creators that, that start to go those programs that like, oh, hey, I wanted this my own brand here. I wanted this my own experience, but it goes against the guidelines of the larger institution. And um, it's something that I think is start going to start to unfold and be a new path for creators. And over the next 18 to 24 months, I'll be, I'll be interested to see how it plays out. Let's turn to our second segment, which is all around making work fun. And I think one of the most fun things for me and something that all three of us share as part of Workweek is that we are all creators as well as operators. So we're all on Twitter. We're all creating. Adam, you have a podcast. You have a newsletter. I have a podcast. How do you guys think about the balance of being an operator, but also being a creator and and having fun in the process? We were just talking about this yesterday. Uh, we were sitting down with our paid growth lead and talking about her interests and how much insight she has to offer. And to me, it's a no-brainer, just an absolute no-brainer to have the team dedicate time to that kind of thinking for so many reasons. I think one of which is processing. All of us are learning better. I learn more and get more from helping Adam edit his newsletter Um, I'm a better operator because of that, because I'm thinking about what's going on more critically. I'm taking the time to step back and then also building an audience. I think we creating opportunities for you to build an audience and distribute your ideas and get your ideas out there is so effective for work week as a whole in so many ways. So it's just been an absolute no brainer for me to bring folks on the team who are excited to have something to say who can process and get great ideas out into the world about what they're doing and then building audiences for them to share those things. It helps, it helps everyone and, and helps us helps lift us all up together. It just keeps the pulse. Empathy is actually hard to develop if you've never been in someone's shoes before and having a deadline and working through that and having your emotions attached to your work and just getting haters and trolls like all that stuff is the life of a creator and if i didn't create on a weekly basis i would never really experience that and then to not only just like empathize with the creators but solve the problems for those things is going to come from like not a great place um and so that to me is why i continue to do it um so we, we can work and adjust with the creators as best as possible And I wonder if it goes the other way as well. As a creator, if you have been that one man or one woman army of doing absolutely everything, you'll have empathy for the operator who's taking that stuff off of your plate. So it's kind of a two-way system. Next question, what part of your job lights you up the most? When you think about what the absolute highlights are, where do you really come most alive? Becca, we'll start with you. 
Yeah. I mean, I just love the people we work with. The whole company started because Adam and I are friends and love hanging out and wanted to hang out more. And so now not only do I get to build cool things and try new things and push myself and grow, we get to go to events. I get to read great content. Really the thing that makes me come alive and and you've seen me go full camp counselor mode at at Team Offsite. But (laughs) um, the thing that makes me come alive is getting to build and work with this team. I've been so blown away and humbled by the quality of people who have come to work with us, both the quality of their skills and what they're able to do and what they're able to build here, but also the quality of of people that they are and their character. And it has just been truly the highlight of my life to be able to work with such amazing people it's been incredibly fun. Well, I can confirm for everyone listening that as much as Adam and Becca are great leaders of the company, they are phenomenal camp counselors. I think in a, in, a, in another life, that would be your calling. <laughs> Truly. I, I did work at a camp for a little while there, so I, it, it's in my blood, but I, uh, I agree. Becca and I should have probably just, uh, one day we'll start the work week uh, summer camp, but that's a, that's a different, that's the next different project. Uh, yeah, exactly. How about you, Adam? What lights you up? I mean, it's definitely the people. I, we wouldn't have done this business just to make money. Uh, I think Becca and I are pretty well aware that like we were offered, we had opportunities to like start a newsletter business that then we flip in three years and make a little bit of money. Like we know how to do those things and almost like arbitrage our time for cash. And I think the people that do that have kind of shallow lives, um, emotionally, financially, physically. It just isn't something that inspires me to wake up in the morning and, the fact that I like continuously look to my left and right and I'm just like, oh my gosh, this person's amazing. Like I learn from them. I get to grow with them. We get to have fun together. Like it makes life so much more worth it. I love work. I like if I had it in my background forever. I like actually love working, but I like love working because I've been able to work with people like Becca. And uh, the whole point of this was to find more people that we just enjoyed being around and to do that, then we could do it for a long time and, and, and often. And, that lights me up. And then the other aspect, which is more obvious, but there's just like no better feeling than watching a creator that we've been supporting and investing in blow up themselves and not blow up in a quantitative perspective, but like it's almost glow up. They just have this like confidence about themselves after a while that you start to see and hear. And you're like, that is a new person. Like that is amazing. Um, and like they're on a different track of life that like they were not on before and we just get to like watch it. And it's just a ton of fun. I think the best part for me is just people's lives have been irreversibly changed from working here. That creators are on a track that they just wouldn't have been on if they didn't do this. Like Nicole's selling out the Roxy in Manhattan doing this event. She's like, I didn't know I could do that, but she does. And she's going to do it all over again. Like it's, it's crazy. No, I love that. Yeah, the I think also a good lesson for creators is being very careful about the people who get your time. Because if you're working in media, there's always a component of it which is a service industry, as in you're delivering some kind of content for a result. So you're you're trading a service for some value. And the people who you trade with, whether that's your audience or the writers you work with, the assistants, whatever making sure those are people that you align with on a values level makes work so much more fun and not this kind of uphill struggle that I think a lot of people sometimes associate B2B companies with. Like B2B doesn't have to be boring. It can be really fun. 
I love that we went this almost entire interview without bringing up the words B2B because <laughs> if the entire aspect of this is like B2B media, which is really what we're doing, is outdated playing and playbooks from 10 years ago, not the funnest websites, has very little personality, definitely not embracing creators yet. And do they make money? Are they good businesses? Yeah, I know, I'm not talking about that, but like the look and feel of B2B, being able to combine that with the momentum and like personality of creators, it's really like one of the secret sauces of Workweek. I don't think it works on a consumer level as well for us. And it's just a lot of fun. And like, it's one of the parts that I think I find enjoying is like watch, like comparing all the B2B media publications and being like, look how different and better that is. Yeah, totally. That's, that's inspiring. Well, guys, this has been a lot of fun. Let's wrap up with one last question, which is when you think about a creator who is looking to launch something new, or maybe they want to grow or monetize uh, their existing brand, what's one piece of advice that you would leave them with? Becca, we'll start with you. For me, the biggest thing for any creator as we look to this trend of people over institutions and people connecting with people, the most important thing is authenticity. Your audience can tell when you are not being authentic. They can tell when you're forcing something. They can tell when your ad was written not really genuinely. So for me, it's talking and writing and acting like who you are and being a human. It's okay to have typos. It's okay to talk informally. Do you go to work with a suit and tie or heels on? Like, I know that there are people who still do, but I don't know many of them. And for me, it's just be your authentic self, connect with your audience personally. Don't be afraid to be you because by you being you, by you sharing your stories, by you connecting personal dots, you are going to connect with an audience on an entirely different level than a really formal buttoned up kind of brand blog post will. And, and I just very much encourage everyone we work with and anyone who's creating uh, to lean into who they authentically are. Put yourself in a position to do what you love because your audience feels that, but sort of the people around you. I think everyone talks shit about that now and saying like, oh, don't follow your passions. You have to make money. And I think you can always make money. Uh, there's always ways to make money, particularly if you're doing something and creating something that you love uh, and have a passion for. So that's the beauty of being a creator uh, is your passion actually can turn into profits. And lastly is use that clout, that affinity responsibly. I think there's a lot of people that as they get bigger and they have more and more clout, they just kind of like take the cheap route. They, they say, ah, I can like push this crappy thing in my newsletter and make 30 grand. They just start to like not care anymore about who they built for. And I think there's a responsibility as you get bigger and, and more mature as a creator that you, you care just as deeply, if not more. And the people that do that are the ones with real longevity. And it's easy to take the shortcut, but it's better to, to do what's best. Great note to end on. Well, both of you, thank you so much for joining. If the people listening want to keep up with you and keep up with your ideas, where's the best place to follow you online? It's at Beckshirm, B-E-C-S-H-E-R-M on Twitter. Um, that's where I'm, I'm most active, but go ahead and find me there. And uh, I'm at Adam, R-Y underscore in on Twitter and uh, send me a DM and say hello. 
And if you want to hear more about Adam's thoughts on media, he's got his own podcast, Media Moves, which you should definitely give a listen to as well. Appreciate that, Ben. All right. Thank you both. All right. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for tuning in. Keep the fun coming by subscribing on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, why not share it with a friend? It really helps us spread our message. We'll see you next time.